Have you ever struggled with being heard, whether it's in a work meeting, whether it's at an interview, or whether it's even in your personal life, and you feel like you're playing small, trying to keep yourself into this tiny little box because you feel that no one is going to listen? In this episode, we're going to chat with an expert in Gravitas who is able to detangle some of our fears around public speaking so that we can lead with influence. So buckle up. I'm excited to have you here for today's episode as we dive deep into this very important topic. Welcome to Get Over Yourself, the podcast for successful women who are ready to get out of their own way and quit letting fear hold them back. You've worked hard to get to where you are so it's about damn time you felt confident enough to enjoy it. I'm your host, Eloise Tompkins, and I've spent over a decade mastering the art of psychology so I can help women just like you stop the self-doubt spiral and learn to love yourself enough to move forward. Hello and welcome to the Get Over Yourself podcast where today we are speaking with the incredible Louise Marla. Louise is an on-call person for the top global CEOs and a guest presenter for leaders and leadership teams worldwide, coaching federal politicians, head of international business and rising corporate talent when the need to give voice and be influential arises. Louise is also a winner of the International Stevie Award for Lifetime Achievement, helping women in business and makes regular TV appearances, giving Husey a run for his money on Husey, I Have a Problem. She's also a regular on the Channel 7 Morning Show, and she has a series of videos with the Australian Financial Review, as well as being a constant feature for comment on radio. She also has a book called Resonate with Penguin Random House, which is for people who need to be heard. So we're definitely in the right place chatting to Louise today. And she also has a new book coming out called Gravitas in February of 2024, which I'm really looking forward to learning more about. So super excited to have you here, Louise, super excited to be chatting with you. And I would really love to hear a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Oh, well, (laughs) I work on interpersonal skills of communication and I work, they're skills that are relevant for everybody. Um, I tend to focus on leadership market or prospective leadership market and women in leadership. And I do that so that they can have more confidence, more skills uh, and exude trust and respect, but also feel great in themselves doing it. That sounds so important because I think that, feeling good and having that trust in themselves is something in the work that I do. I mean, I do work in a very different context. It's more of that inner work. And it sounds like you're doing some of that outer work in terms of how it looks when um, on the outside, which is kind of conveying our appearance and how people perceive us and, and also how we perceive ourselves. Yeah, it's not about appearance. It's about the psychology of voice and about mm. the body and how you hold the body. So it's not about a clothes or or makeup or hair or anything like that none of those things the mm-hmm. the actual physical self how did you get into that like what was your journey to kind of get there Ah, oh, very mixed journey very mixed journey and i believe I, I think about it often and i think gee would i be where i am now uh if i'd gone a different path because i think but i do i think i would be I think all roads lead to Rome, basically. Um, and I had a STEM background. I, When I finished school, I actually went to the university and did statistics. And I did a degree in majoring in pure statistics, econometrics, mathematics and statistics. 
um, statistics in economics. And um, I was going off to the Bureau of Statistics and uh, I, I had an offer. I started to do some theatre, uh, amateur theatre in Brisbane, Australia. And my singing teacher said to me, you know, you should do this professionally. So I had that choice, um, Bureau of Statistics in Canberra, Life Upon the Wicked Stage. And I went, uh, Life Upon the Wicked Stage. So I went into opera singing and I did my music background and then went to Europe and I was in Europe for 10 years and I sang, sang, sang all over the place. And um, and then that, that wasn't quite the career for me. So I came back and... Uh, rebuilt myself in a business world and in particular in communication. And of course, I added to that master's in all like the NLP master practitioner, a PhD in leadership communication, um, all of those things got added in. And eventually all roads led to one specific niche area, interpersonal skills of communication for leaders. Which is so important. And I love, like, I mean, I come from a psychology background myself and you said statistics and, like, I kind of had this physical reaction in my body because statistics is hard for me. It's hard work. And and I can imagine a lot of people out there would kind of hear statistics and I don't know, maybe I don't know what their experience of that would be. But to then move from that into singing and then into communication, I mean, I can see how singing and communication kind of, overlap but it's such a different field that's the that's the point it seems different but it's actually not i adore statistics and i adore mathematics and and it for me maths is all about patterns 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 and for me communication is about patterns 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 of thinking that reflect in patterns of body that reflect in patterns of vocal use and we kind of unweave these patterns and weave them back together again and and it's all patterns it's mathematics and music are very closely related i would never have thought that but yeah. you're right though and i love that because psychology is very much patterns as as well i think i see it in a different way i see it in the mind patterns and the thought patterns and the childhood patterns which we'll, you know we'll talk about mm. And you're saying that you kind of see it in terms of vocal patterns and well, things like that. Those mental patterns manifest in physical patterns and those physical patterns mould the impact on the throat and therefore your voice. Um, and so they're very much, I, I love the phrase, phrase um, you know, vocal dynamics echoes psychodynamics. It's interesting because you've got me thinking of my own childhood, you know, like where oftentimes I was very much not able to, you know, really use my voice. And for me, when even now, like I know sometimes it can still be hard for, for me to use my voice, not physically, but in terms of feeling like I can speak up. And so hearing you kind of talk about the psychology behind it, I can absolutely see that link in terms of how I guess your past impacts how you are in the here and now how did your childhood kind of impact your journey to to this point uh my journey was that I I thought oh happy family I grew up in a happy family and I look back now and I go not <laughs> lots of mystery and dysfunction and none of which was ever discussed and I think mm. that that 
gave me the skill to to sort of go, what's happening here? What what, what is going on here? What what is actually happening? <laughs> and and I'm I'm a I'm a detective. I really am a detective. Um, mm. Defining, and I've got eyes in the back of my head. It's given me special skills um, to actually pick people's patterns and what they're thinking, what they're doing, uh, how they're blocking themselves. It's really interesting because I think that when we do come from those childhoods where we have those experiences of being hypervigilant almost, because I mean, I don't know if that's what you're referring to, that sense of yeah. hypervigilance. It was just very confusing. Mm. Very confusing. Being told one thing was happening and it wasn't happening. And mm. that wasn't happening at all. Um, and we all, uh, you know, manifested in different ways. And, uh, mm. uh, you know, often you'll find one child will make it through and one really struggles. And that certainly happened in my family. And you're the one that made it through, I guess. I like to think it that way. <laughs> I'm like, if you're the one that hasn't made it through, Louise, then, oh, my goodness, you know, what's the other child doing in your family? <laughs> and it's interesting. I talk to clients about that all the time in the sense of that sometimes I have clients that come to me and they'll talk about the differences in their family. They'll talk about how their sibling is so different from them and they can't understand why. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think that we just have different personalities, different roles, different, yeah, I guess ways that things play out in our families. Ways that things play out and, and strategies we adopt to deal with it. One of the strategies that I became particularly aware of um, mm -hmm. a couple of Go, was that I realised that when things go wrong, when things go bad for me, I they didn't happen. I blank out. I can't remember. There are years of my life I can't remember. Um, my father died when I was young. I can't remember him. And that all kind of came to light um, a, a few years ago, four years ago, when I was, um, oh, look, I, I, and I don't even know what happened. But anyway, I ended up on top of two tiger snakes. And, um, and I was attacked and mauled all over me by two tiger snakes. Um, and I actually don't know what happened. And I'm pretty clear I must have been conscious, but I cannot recall the memory at all. And although that was a severe trauma, there's actually whole sections of my life I don't remember. I just blanked them out. It did not happen. And that's the skill. It really is. And I love that our brain is so adept at being able adept at being able to say like protect us, keep us safe in those situations. And when we're kids, we develop all of these really uh helpful strategies that keep us safe. And it's interesting that you kind of then are able to reflect on sometimes in adulthood, these strategies that came out to keep us safe are perhaps not keeping us as, as safe as we need or as we would like, you know, here and yeah. now. I'm old enough and ugly enough to know that I can recall anything I want to recall. If I can, if I, um, and certainly get assistance to go back and recall it. The question is, do I want to recall it? Um, and is it a blockage? Is it, does it remain as a blockage um, or is it a successful technique? It's a 
do you know what? Am I to a psychologist? Am I saying something where you're spotting the obvious mistake? (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because I've been sitting here thinking, oh my goodness, what is Louise thinking of how I'm speaking and my vocal cords and how I'm talking? And it's, it's, but it's funny, isn't it? Like how we kind of have this perception of what is the other person thinking of us with our skill set. And I think, I mean, I would kind of, um, wonder if that's like almost dissociation in the sense of keeping that part of ourselves protected from from that trauma from that distressing event and I think that it's really healthy sometimes to not remember things like one I don't think that we could ever remember everything in our life nor do I think I would like want to remember absolutely everything I think that would be exhausting um so I think you're right I think it is kind of a helpful mechanism to be able to leave things in the past or leave things where they need to be um, mm-hmm. so that we can, I don't know, do what we need to do. Yeah. Let it, I was in a taxi. I was in the Barossa Valley yesterday and I uh, at, actually there was a car that drove me to the airport and the woman who's in the car said, oh, you're flying. She said, oh, I'm terrified of flying, terrified. I'm terrified of heights. And I said, well, uh, actually, I don't think flying really and being terrified of heights go together. Um, you know, you're very enclosed, you don't have to look down. And she said, no, I'm terrified of flying, terrified of heights, terrified of flying, terrified of heights. I said, when was the last time you went on a plane? She said, 35 years ago. I've always been terrified of flying, terrified of heights. And I thought, just say it one more time and set it in stone and make it a reality. You know, how about you used to be scared of flying and heights and now you're dealing with it beautifully. You know, how about that, recognising your language I've just let it go. Um, I love, it's so true because the language that we use kind of reinforces the story that we hold about ourselves, right? Doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Totally. Which which makes me kind of then. And that's why it's so criminal for everybody to say, oh, I'm tone deaf. There's no such thing. Very, very fractional, tiny little amount of people are tone deaf. Not every second person you meet. Everybody <laughs> can sing. Uh, we need to repeat the phrase, I can sing, I can sing, I have a voice. I have a voice. You know, just bloody do it. Um, instead of reinforcing, I can't, I can't. Well, maybe you can. It's a, it's a lot about mindset, isn't it? And it, I joined a choir uh, last year. Um, want to go back next year. <laughs> kind of had a bit of a gap this year. And the, it was a non-auditioning choir, which I loved because, I mean, I'm one of those people that would say I can't sing. And they made me feel really welcome. And they made me feel like that you yeah. could go in and you could give it a go. And over time, I noticed that I was able to improve my voice. I'm not going to be a, you know, famous singer, Taylor Swift, Madonna, Mm-mm, no thank you. But you're right, it does come down to kind of how we see ourselves and how we kind of share that story about ourselves and how other people then start to adopt that story about ourselves because I guarantee you that that woman with the plane, with the fear of heights and the fear of um, flying, other people would then be saying about her, oh, Mary, yeah, no, she's really scared of flying. Yeah, no, Mary doesn't fly. And then we'd kind of get other people roped into our own narrative so that it... As a culture, we say we can't sing and then everybody reinforces. So we go, ah, and people go, oh, no, listen to you. Ah, scratch the blackboard. Oh, that's terrible. 
And that becomes kind of funny. And it's not funny. There's something um, psychologically, socially, that I am experiencing more and more and more about the devoicing of society. And our, our culture, we love to devoice each other because when you are devoiced, you are nobody. You have no voice. You have nothing. Can you say that again? Because that's so powerful, isn't it? And if you add in that, Louise, I think if you're a woman, Mm. then it also adds to that because I think people like to, and I don't know how you feel about this, but in my experience, people love to unpeg women. Powerful women who are using their voice can be confronting for people. In my work, wait for this, yesterday I had a woman on a webinar who said to me, um, an engineer, and she said, I, I've i learned over the years that I need to just shut up and listen and, um, and then very rarely when I have something very important to say, I input that and I think this is a great strategy. I'll tell you what, my mouth just dropped open as I, as I went, all right. I said, oh, gosh, you know, I mean, we're all different. Um, but uh, that's not a strategy I'd be recommending or teaching. But, you know, each to his own. Uh, there you go. But there is nothing good about that. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's fascinating how we do voiced. And, and in little ways, people are doing things all the time. I was on a panel the other day and the man sitting next to me was speaking and put his hand up across my face. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't speaking. He was. He was purely speaking. But something about taking ownership of that space and blocking out others. I thought it was hilarious. I started to laugh. But uh, a very Hillary Clinton and Trump. You remember when he walked in front of her? That famous scene at the debate. We just block others, devoice others, and uh, and we do it psychologically but we do it physically as well and we also do it vocally he or she who yells loudest wins it's interesting because i find that men often have this tendency to speak quite loud i remember being at a cafe recently and Mm. i don't know who i was with a a girlfriend uh, like a, a female friend and next to us there was a group of people and men have this real tendency to talk quite loud with their voice, whereas women don't. And I always... Mm. You always what? I always find that fascinating, like, because I think... A man's voice is twice the size of a woman's. And and the body, which is where power comes from, is often twice the size. So a man's voice can be up to five times louder than a woman's. End of story. That's a reality. And therefore, do we need to cry ourselves to sleep and go, oh, no, no, I'm behind the eight ball. No, guess what? There's about 400 other strategies you can use to be heard. Uh, It doesn't matter. We all have um, different things in different areas and we drag it out. So with this particular gentleman who put his hand in front of my face when I spoke, I stood up and walked away and took all the attention to me. And nobody knew I was doing that as a strategy. It looked like I was uh, picking something up off another table. Uh, There are many things you can do to be heard. Men's voices are louder. And as long as we sit at a boardroom table, devoid of movement, devoid of gestures, 
sitting still uh, with our hands under the table, the only vehicle we have to express ourselves is our voice. And we're a fifth of the volume and an octave higher. <laughs> Think about it. That is not doing anybody any good. Was there a time that you realised that the voice was important outside of singing? Like what, what was kind of that moment like for you? Oh, it was it was revelationary. So I would um, I was in I was the protege. I had a scholarship with Elizabeth Schwarzkopf, who's one of the most famous um, singers of the century. And it, I would be at her home, and we would stand there for hours and hours and hours dealing with uh, you know. Let me exaggerate and say two notes, two notes, and how much air and how you placed your body to give that power or withdraw power or let extra air out of the throat or give it more twang or not more twang or move your tongue or all of these things and you know what what are you doing and really thinking about it and I came into business and I was in the management team at an engineering company funnily enough and uh, these people who I met who were wonderful wonderful people doing fabulous work and they would go out the front of the group and then go, okay, I don't, and I go, oh my God, what strategy are you using? What are you doing? What on earth are you doing? What are you thinking? And people tend to go, oh no, that's my voice, and I get nervous. Well, voice is a choice. You can have any voice you want. And we all get nervous. So learn how to deal with it. Um, you know, how do you get over nerves? You don't. You learn how to deal with them. So all of these choices that we let go down the toilet and then see it as a personal failing. That's it. And, and it, it's a blockage in our education. That's what it is. A blockage in our education. <laughs> Not on your watch, though, by the sounds of it. Not on my watch. And that's why I've written Gravitas, because we're going in the wrong direction for your love and affection. We've got to go back to ancient uh, principles. Got to go back to ancient principles uh, and, and find out what we need to do. Can I give you an example? For instance, in the night, I'm going to, <laughs> in the 1960s, <laughs> nonverbal research came in and we looked at. Um, uh, what was what were the manifestations of leadership? How could you pick someone who was a leader? And we would say, oh, well, uh, the voice of leadership is, oh, listen to those people there. They've got low voices. They've got slow voices. They've got loud voices. Oh, yes, guess why? Because they're men. That's why they're men. So, of course, we said a male voice is the voice of leadership. Bullshit. And we've stood by that and accepted that as reality. And it's absolute crap. If you go back to ancient Rome, never do they mention low, slow and loud. And they write quite a bit on the voice. And they say that a voice, the voice you want for leadership, is the voice that is unblocked as it is produced. You don't want a voice with your tongue down your throat or with your mouth not opening or with your vocal folds with no air in them. Or any of these things. You don't want any of, I'm getting talking like that, you know. You don't want any of these voices. That's all about blockage. I think you could be a voiceover artist. Have you ever done any voiceover? I'd be a good voiceover artist. <laughs> if, you know, do they pay you threepence for the day? 
I don't know. I don't know. I'm just sitting here enthralled by the uh, voice because I think for me, like I, like I said earlier, for me, my own voice, my own experience with not being able to articulate myself as a child, not being able to have a voice. And I was going through some of my uh, high school reports today. I was doing a bit of a tidy up, came across some high school reports and it was like, you know, very quiet child and I look back and I think hmm well that kind of makes sense because I never felt like I could kind of speak out and mm. with myself I came from a background where uh dad's Aussie mum's German so there was mixed accent in the home and people would often comment mm-hmm. you know oh where are you from I'm like Melbourne Australia um but because of well, I don't know I assumed that it was those differences my voice became something that I hyper-focused on, on at times and then tried to actively change that, not through formal education, you know, working with someone like yourself, but just observant of it. Mm-hmm. Well, and you can change everything. Mm. You listen to actors who who change their uh, change their accent in every movie. The, the thing is that trying to manipulate the voice is not, the name of the game it's about altering your body so that the voice uh (laughs) funny a story about actors anyway altering the body so that your your voice then will change if your body changes and your body changes when your mind changes did you find that for you did i what did you find that for you, like in terms of, because, I mean, it sounds like in your own experiences growing up, like there was some of that family dysfunction. Did that impact how you spoke and how you communicated and, and did that need to shift? Well, I used to speak really high. and you know, I'm Queenslander as well, so I had a Queensland accent, really high Queensland accent. You know, I spoke like that. I've got videos of me speaking just like that um, all the time, you know, spoke like that all the time. Um, I don't speak like that anymore. <laughs> well, you know, I couldn't do what I do with that voice. So something I had to give. And I didn't consciously change it. It just changed. Um, yeah, I, uh, uh, what, what changed for me vocally was anxiety. So I have um, massive performance anxiety. Um, and I've had it since I was five. And isn't that funny? Because I perform for a living. And um, people say to me these days, oh, you're so confident. Don't know how you're so confident. I'm like, oh, seriously, scratch the surface. I I know how to deal with it. Mm. And it's a life It is. And I think, like you were saying before, though, Louise, we can have the nerves and we can also do the thing anyway. And... Mm. I think that speaking in front of people is just generally anxiety provoking in and of itself. And that's because of the way that we are treated to dissociate ourselves and see ourselves in a, um, a, in a conflict with an audience. And, and as a girl, I was taught to look at the look at the clock at the back of the hall. Why would, why, why, if you're trying to connect with people, would you look at the clock? at the back of the hall, and to put yourself in a glass cage. Why would you, if you're communicating with people, would you separate yourself in a glass cage? And why would they say, imagine in the nude? 
why would I want to be imagining people in the nude and putting them down? I'm, uh, this, but this is the way we've been taught, as though speaking is something where people are trying to get you. They're not. We've got to come together and communicate as one. The minute one person speaks, the other people are listening and we're all in together. It's getting worse and worse in our virtual world. People come on to webinars and they sit there and they don't speak. The listener is taking no responsibility for engagement and they've got to speak. They've got to speak. We've got to have two-way communication and We've set up these terrifying situations where the audience doesn't speak, doesn't have responsibility, and the speaker takes all the responsibility and fear as though everyone's against them. Wrong, 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 from the core up. And when we have that fear of threat, though, of course, that's where that anxiety kicks in. Then we get scared of speaking and using our voice. And then it kind of has that, I can imagine, like I'm kind of seeing how that trickle effect, I guess, would then impact how their voice sounds and then how their voice is perceived. And then it almost feels like it would loop back into, I don't feel confident. So I can really see how the work that you're doing in that space is so important to be able to help people with their voice to build that confidence. Eloise, you know, the people don't realise the physicality of the throat of the voice so for instance the throat actually it's the secondary function of the larynx to make sound secondary function the primary function of the larynx is to stop water from getting to the lungs they are a valve and um, unfortunately the larynx can't tell the difference too stupid can't tell the difference between drowning from water if water comes into your body or drowning from emotional stress and the throat closes and as the throat closes we get done it becomes more and more difficult to make sound you know you know we can't make sound so we go to make sound we go I and we go oh no no I wasn't saying anything sorry no not me and you're right it's a vicious cycle but there are techniques to open the throat there are techniques to do all of these things or in fact stop it from closing you don't open the throat you stop it from closing um and there are techniques but we don't get taught them mm -mm. no we don't and it all it makes me also think like of that link between mindset as well you know when those things happen and we kind of stumble with our words then we associate meaning onto that like oh I can't do it I'm not good enough I, I don't deserve to be heard this just proves that I mm. have nothing of value to say and mm. it it feels like there's that reinforcement of the yeah. two so what happens classically for people is that when they're under fear, their diaphragm jams. And when the diaphragm jams, there's no, very difficult to breathe. So we start breathing high in the body. And when we do that, the, the research shows you get 20% of the oxygen that's required to survive. So the organs of the body go, oh, well, I better shut down. You know, if I'm not being you, uh, if we haven't got enough oxygen, I'll shut down. And the first one to shut down is the brain. So this is what happens when people get out in front of a group is the diaphragm jams and stop breathing. Oh, the brain goes. And they're standing there staring at the group thinking, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know where I am. And immediately we jump to conclusions about why that's happening. And the conclusions are, and the reason this is happening to me, you know, is because I don't know my work well enough. 
I better go off and do 64,000 more qualifications. And not only that, you they don't like me. They don't like me. They've never liked me. Nobody likes me. In fact, they never, I don't think my dog likes me. School doesn't. They never like me at school. My mother never loved me. And I don't even know if I like myself. You know, and we go ridiculous negative spirals when in fact what we should do is say, oh, actually, my my breathing stopped. I'd better unjam my diaphragm. I better use my technique to unjam my diaphragm. That's what we need to do. But we're not educated to do that. So now we're divorced. I see that is a very career-limiting thing to have happen to you. And mm. first of all, people won't trust you or respect you when it happens. And then to yourself, you lose confidence. And so, boom, boom, end of career. And you stop putting yourself forward and people stop offering you promotion or opportunities. Dum, dum. And it's as easy as how do I unjam my bloody diaphragm? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think on that, the my perspective with that also is the going back to that childhood stuff because that, that stuff, it happens so fast because you're right, when your brain, your frontal lobe goes offline and we're operating in that emotional part of our brain, we can't access those more rational thoughts that are like, oh, okay, it's my my diaphragm that's getting in the way here. I need to allow myself to breathe more. And then all of a sudden we've gone from, I don't know what I'm doing to, yeah, my mum hates me and I don't know if I like myself. Mm. And then we completely shut down. And it's that skill building, I think, from that psychological front and also uh, practical skill building. And I know you do some of that mindset work around it as well because they're so interlinked by the sounds of it to be able to get people to that place of being really confident on stage or wherever it is that they're needing to present. I find that people say to me, I want to believe in myself. I want, And I go, well, I don't have five years of psychotherapy. We've probably got till next Tuesday for your presentation. So how about we forget about believing in yourself and just learn how to perform? <laughs> uh, and and, and their learnable skills of unblockage. I did a TV thing the other day and I suddenly felt myself block. And it is an automatic learned skill that I thought of something to say that was a bit dramatic, threw my hands back and threw back on the chair. And, of course, that unjammed um, the body and we were away. And it was just like I knew danger. Boom. It's, you know, performing is like being in the SAS. You've got to train yourself. They do a skill in the, in the SAS, I believe, where they put a bag over somebody's head and then present them with people right in front of them and they take the bag off and they have a gun and they have to decide whether they're going to shoot them. You know, it could be a small child, it could be anything. And, and of course, the natural response is, oh, whatever is there, shoot it. Um, and they have to make a split-second decision. And it's training. It's SAS training is what performance is. It, it's knowing when there's difficulty, bang, what are the strategies you, you put in place? I also love, like, as we've been talking, one of the things that's been floating through my mind, and I realise I'm kind of shifting a little here, I think it goes back to something you said before about that performance-related anxiety and, and the blockages, because I think that people do have blockages, and one of the things I love for that is EMDR. Is that something you've ever heard of, EMDR? No, what's Eye movement. It's called eye movement oh, desensitization. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I movement desensitization and reprocessing, and it is just 
it used to be, well, it is used, I guess, for trauma, but in the coaching space, I use it for performance in leadership coaching, executive coaching, um, things like public speaking, because sometimes those blocks, and I hear what you're saying, you don't have five years to do the psychotherapy, but sometimes the short stint of EMDR can be really helpful to get somebody from being completely terrified to not having that emotional block get in the way so that they can jump on stage and actually feel like really good about themselves being up on that stage. I adore, I adore eye movement. Um, Analyzing eye movement. Love it, love it, love it. Fabulous. Well, that's all part of communication, communication, isn't it? All of these things. Um, And identifying patterns and changing them. There's so much to it and I've loved this conversation so much and I had been looking forward to this conversation with you so much because I know that there had just been overlap in some of our interests. Different, but that psychological aspect really intrigued me with you in in terms of how you link that into the communication, Um, particularly in the leadership space. I love that. And I'm curious if you can tell our audience where they're able to find you and tell us a little bit more about um, what's going on for you and where they're able to learn more about you if they want to find out more. Oh, thanks, Eloise. It's so easy. I'm the only Dr. Louise Marler in the world. Um, and so that's I'm easy to find. And that is my website, Louise Marler, www.louisemarler.com.au. And I, I engage with people. I obviously do speaking to motivate people. I do micro events to teach people skills, exec teams the skills, and I work with one-on-one coaching uh, with people. And I also run retreats so that we can immerse in the skills and really make the change. And um, and then uh, next year we're doing a series of webinars, a series of masterclasses in Sydney and Melbourne, and, um, and then, of course, people can come to the public retreats too. Amazing. So a lot going on. The uh, links to all of your uh, socials and website will be and LinkedIn will be put into the show notes. So for anyone who is interested in finding more about Dr. Louise Muller, can certainly take a look at the show notes and find out a bit more information there. But Louise, thank you again so much for coming onto the podcast. It has been such a pleasure to be talking to you about this stuff and sharing all of your amazing gems and wisdom. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Get Over Yourself podcast. Out of all of the podcasts out there, you chose to listen to this one, and I am so grateful for that. If you love this episode, it would mean so much if you could jump over to your platform of choice and leave this podcast a five-star review. This will help us grow the podcast so that more women can get out of their own way and start living the life that they truly desire. It is my mission to help as many women as possible, and I need your support to do that. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to seeing you next week.